This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am so excited for today's episode. I am joined by my guest, David Waldy. We are talking all things empathy, being an empath, and how to deal with that crippling fucking anxiety that I know we are all struggling with. So sit back, grab a cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh no, she didn't. Ooh, you guys, this episode. Um, I love when we can bring on men to this show that are vulnerable and have done the work on themselves and it shows so beautifully. This episode was so amazing for me to sit and listen to David's story, how he realized he was an empath and the research and the work that he's done on how to not only access those emotions, but really He's so knowledgeable in letting other people know what empaths deal with. Um, I myself am an empath. Uh, So it was really beautiful to be able to see that there's ways to exist with this wonderful gift that we all have. Um, He also had some really incredible things to say around anxiety. We all know that is no stranger with me. I deal with anxiety on the daily. And through all the therapy that I've done, through all of the sessions with different people that I've done, I've never had some someone explain anxiety to me as clearly as he did and have it resonate and make so much sense um, on how to really remove yourself from spiraling and get back into touch with where we're at at the present moment. So I cannot wait to share this episode with you guys. So let's jump right in. David Waldy, welcome to FML Talk. I'm so excited for this conversation. So thank you for being here. Gabrielle, I am honored to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation. We're going to have some fun today. (laughs) Yes. When I discovered your content, I immediately was so drawn in and was like, oh my God, here is this male that is like really openly and freely talking about being an empath. And I don't see a lot of that out there. So I was so drawn in to the stuff that you were putting out there. So I'm really excited to to dig into all that. Thank you. It's, uh, it's something that has not come without a lot of pain and difficulty because as, as a man, especially uh, when early on, when I started taking personality tests and strengths finders and different things to learn about myself. I always got empathy as the top and I was so insecure and almost resentful about it. I was like, this is not a manly characteristic. What the heck? And it wasn't until I fell in love with understanding it as a gift and realizing that um, it is a beautiful, powerful thing when we can understand it. And especially as a man, it's become something that has been incredibly useful for me in my relationships and my business and uh, everything that I do. And so yeah, I'm really excited about diving into that. 
Yeah. So you said, you know, that you started taking all these tests. Was there something that you felt was wrong with you? Like what prompted you to go take these tests? Yeah. So early on, I mean, I've always been obsessed with all things personal development. I'm an avid reader. One of my top strengths is input. Um, and as <laughs> despite when people think I do like to talk, but input is actually about inputting information. And so a lot of times you'll see that people that like to collect things, whether it's baseball cards, mine is books and reading. I love knowledge. I love information. I'm, I'm an obsessed learner and it's one of those things where if I pick a particular subject I'm going all in I'm gonna spend you know 20 30 40 hours just uh, obsessing over that one thing until I feel like I've really got a good handle on it and so for me it, it started off honestly in my teenage years where I really just wanted to understand more and more about who I was and fortunately I had some mentors and some leaders that uh, were incredibly helpful in, in guiding me to to learn about myself from a very young age so that I could step into different um, different environments and be able to operate in my strengths. Because most often, Gabrielle, one of the things we're taught, we talk about being well-rounded people, right? We live in a society where everyone's talking about being these well-rounded individuals. And I had a mentor of mine uh, who confronted that and said, David, I truly believe that what we need in society today is not well-rounded individuals. It's very sharp pointed individuals who know their gifts, who know their strengths, who know like the parts of them that are, are gifts and things to give to other people. And what we need simultaneously is from those people, the humility to surround themselves with other people that have complementary strengths to mitigate your weaknesses. And that's where everything started to, ch to change for me. Yeah. Oh my God. That's incredible advice um, for anyone that's existing on this planet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for those that are listening that don't really understand what an empath is, can you give a little insight into really what that means to be an empath? Yes. So in I've done a lot of study and research into this topic, which I was very surprised. It wasn't until I had a couple of videos on TikTok that, that went pretty controversially viral because there were people on both ends of the spectrum. There's a lot of people that believe um, that empath is, is in that nature versus nurture thing, that some people believe that uh, there are certain individuals that are hardwired with specific tendencies towards being more empathic or empathetic, uh, a, lot, a lot more emotionally intelligent, a lot more in tune with their feelings, then there's these these other side of people that say no it comes from nurture and actually environment that really the reason that we have empaths is because of trauma Mm. And so there was these two conflicting things that that really I had to start to dive into. And what's fascinating right now, Gabrielle, is that there's a flood of research that's going into understanding more about um, the psychological aspects of, of empaths. And up to date, we know this about science. Everyone believes certain things about whatever it is until science comes along and explains it and so to date we really don't have a lot of scientific explanation around what makes an empath an empath and so really most of the research that i've done is it's been anecdotal it's been having conversations with people saying tell me about your life tell me your story tell me your experience like when did you start to notice that you were a little bit different yeah. <laughs> than, than some of the other people you're around um and so for me the simplest definition of an empath is someone that has uh, a propensity or 
what I would say is kind of an, an amplified awareness of the emotions and feelings, or even we would often call the vibe of other people is that you can be in a situation where you're just in tune. You can walk into an environment and you feel um, there's even like a spiritual component to it. You walk into an environment and the vibe is off, like the mm. feelings off, like things are wrong or things are good. You walk in and you feel peace. You feel calm and you just feel it's this sense that when you have conversations with uh, many other people, they're like, they don't really get it. Like, what do you mean? It, it like the vibe is off. What do you mean you have a weird feeling about that person? What do you mean that I need to stay away from this individual? What do you mean when you say you're, you're able to read that person? Um, and so I think for, for our intents and purposes, empath is someone that has just this, this uh, super strength, I guess you'd say of being in tune with the emotions and feelings of other people. And the downside to that though, Gabrielle, is that a lot of times it means that the individual is sometimes more aware of the feelings and thoughts and emotions and stuff going on in other people's lives than they are even their own self. Mm. <laughs> and it, it can cause a lot of, a lot of problems. Yeah, it's almost like they're this sponge that when they walk into a room or a situation and there's water, they're immediately like soaking that in. So any type of emotion, they kind of like end up feeling that at a higher frequency or a higher level than I guess normal people would. Um, I even have a friend, um, her name is Alex Lynn Ward, shout out girl, um, who takes on even like physical stuff. So there was one time where she came over to my house and I wasn't feeling good and had a stomach ache. She left my house with a stomach ache that day. So it like on like massive levels like that, people really pick up the energy and it's almost like adopting some of that. And it becomes really intense to, to feel like you're picking up somebody else's shit. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And that's where a lot of empaths sometimes get into trouble is that, and you've probably experienced this too, Gabrielle, in some degree is that we see that someone's dealing with something and, you know, we can, we can feel that something's going on, right? The, the crazy thing about empathy is that all humans, short of having mental illness, like narcissistic personality disorder, or anything like that, we all have the capacity for empathy, but I usually equate it to something like organization. We all have those friends that are just hardwired to be super like anal retentive organized. And it irritates those of us that are not organized. Like, how are you so, or your life is perfect. Everything's perfect. Your right. house is perfect. So organized. And then you have other people that, you know, learn and develop the skill of organization. It's the same thing with empathy. Some people just have kind of like, you know, when God was creating is like, Hey, here's your, some empathy dust. And it's like, he spilled <laughs> the sprinkler over and some people just got a, a bunch of it. Right. But it's still a part of, of, of every every uh, every human being again short of mental illness but what i think is so uh so dangerous about it sometimes is that when we can feel and sense the problems that other people are facing we sometimes forget that it's not always our responsibility to help and fix mm. it's our responsibility to hold space and be present and and i have found like especially in my marriage with my wife because my, my wife is not an empath and and so uh one of the things we found that's so useful in our relationship when i can sense something's going on and she's very much like i'm like hey babe is, is everything okay fine everything's fine <laughs> obviously the average person be like okay everything's not really fine so what's going on and one thing that i've learned that's useful and it's so useful is i just i i hold for the moment i'm say hey i want you to know i'm here 
if you want to talk about this, I'm happy to talk about this. I don't know if something's going on or on the side of, of potentially I'm missing it here. I'm here if you want to chat about it. And then when she does open up, if she opens up and shares with me, what I always do is this. This is one of my favorite things to ask other people. Are you looking for support or are you looking for solutions? Because that simple question enables us to know how to interact with that individual. Because a lot of times I'm a fix it guy. I don't know about you, Gabrielle. Like if I see somebody's got a problem, it's like, just do this and this and this. Let's fix it and move on and get on with our day. And sometimes that's not helpful, right? No, but I'm so like that too. I'm like, if we're in a fight, it's like, let's sit down and resolve it before we, you know, pass go and collect $200. (laughs) Like I need it fixed right now. And I know a lot of other people don't function that way. So it's so funny that you say that because I saw one of your videos that, you know, the worst thing to say to an empath is to be like, I'm fine. It's fine. Nothing's wrong because Mm -hmm. you know that there's something wrong. Um, And I've had so many, you know, occurrences with my boyfriend where I'm like, Hey, what, what's going on with you? And he's like, nothing, I'm fine. And I'll look at him and be like, just so you know, I know that you're (laughs) bullshitting me right now. So either we can talk about it now, or Mm -hmm. I can continually ask you for the next 20 minutes. And then you can tell me it's totally up to you, (laughs) but either way, you're going to tell me what's going on. (laughs) And it's so hard though, because what happens a lot of times we're unintentionally exposing something that someone else may not want exposed. Like someone may feel like they've Mm. got it together and like they're trying to put on a good face and there's something really bothering them. But on that, that almost metaphysical, spiritual, emotional level, we can sense that something's going on. And and so when we're not gentle and careful in how we approach the situation, it can feel like we're almost outing that person. Right. And they're like, how do you know? Like, leave me alone. Like I'm fine. Like I, I should be like, I should have this, I got it together, right? And so we have to be really careful, I think, in how we approach it. But I'm just like you. I'm like, let's just hash it out. What the heck's going on? <laughs> right, right. No, but that's so that's so true. You know, people can feel like a little taken off guard. Like, how does this person know that there's... Why is my shield not doing its job and covering up with my mask well enough? Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I think for me personally, I, I, I think I'm an empath, but I think I... I'm hesitant to lean into it because I feel so much sometimes it scares me. Um, Like there's, there's a part of me that wants to fly across the country and go build wells for kids that don't have water and like be with these children that uh, have next to nothing. But at the same time, I know that my heart won't handle it. Like it'll feel so much that it's going to explode out of my chest. It's the same feeling when I see the, the, um, commercials about the fucking animals mm-hmm. in the animal shelter with Sarah McLaughlin's arms of the angels playing. Like, I just can't do <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I, I will go and buy every animal <laughs> from the pound and like that, that'll be my life. Um, so yeah. do you ever feel like it's, you have to kind of like hold the, the water behind the dam or else like the floodgates are going to open and God knows where you're going to end up. Yeah, you do. It's, it's all about boundaries. I mean, that's the hardest thing for, for those people that are, are highly empathic. It's the hardest thing for me is making sure that, um, 
you know, this, the day and age we live in, we talk a lot about self-love and self-care and, and personal development, which are all beautiful, important things. But the problem with most empaths is that they have this tremendous dissatisfaction with their life because what we create are these things that uh, I heard about in a book one time that are called these like covert contracts. And these covert contracts is where we're constantly giving and loving and serving and supporting and pouring out and we'll be there if you call like if you need us if there's a problem like if there's pain if there's difficulty we're the person that to some degree or another we feel this obligation to go support and help because we have this thought in our mind well if i don't no one else will and so we take on this this type mm. of responsibility that isn't necessarily our responsibility but here here's where it gets really muddy is that Sometimes it is our responsibility, but if we don't have the self-awareness and the ability to regulate and manage our emotions and understand the effects of what happens when we do fly across the country and we're going to go do something because it's been pulling on our heart, if we don't have the right things in place, what it can do is it's going to emotionally derail us. We'll end up like crying in a pool for two weeks, like wondering why in the world is my life so amazing? I don't deserve any of this. And we, we have this comparison thing <laughs> where when we talk about comparison, a lot of times we talk about it, we're comparing to people that maybe have more than us or better off than us, a better relationship, a bigger house, a better car. But empaths often do the opposite. They look at people with less than them and they start living a life full, full of, of guilt and shame of being like, I, I, I can't, I can't enjoy any of my life because think about those people that don't have anything. People, those people that are struggling that the, the just like you said, the Sarah McLaughlin commercial, all those puppies, like, give me all the puppies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think what's really important is, is really, um, it's listening and trusting those things that are pulling on your heart, but at the same time, knowing, developing this awareness with the boundaries that you have of saying, okay, there's sometimes I do have to say no. There's sometimes that maybe I have to love from a distance, right? We all have those friends or those people that we, maybe not necessarily friends, but those, um, I call them energy vampires, right? Those emotional vampires where you love them, yep, but yep. you can only <laughs> handle so much before you just like, you, you're with them and it's all about them and woe is me and my life sucks and it's all the problems and the government and the news and all this stuff. And what we have to do, I think, a lot of times is create these boundaries and to love and support from a distance. But when we talk about our most intimate relationships, those closest to us, it very much comes down to, I think, healthy communication and helping people understand that, yeah, I might be a little bit different than you. And it might be strange that if we go and we have a big family gathering and we're with your in-laws for two or three days, that when we, when we get home, I need a day to go sit on a mountain <laughs> by myself. And <laughs> right, right, right. That might not make sense to some people. So I think with communication with those closest to us, it frees us while we, while we simultaneously develop um, some very simple strategies for managing our emotions, protecting our energy, and being aware, self-aware enough to... Um, to really put ourselves first in a healthy way. Because if we don't put ourselves first in a healthy way, we end up being not the best version of ourselves for the very people that we want to be the best version of ourselves for. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think as an empath, it's been 
harder for you to set or enforce boundaries 100%. because you don't want to hurt someone else's feelings 100% because I've seen this again this is somewhat anecdotal but I don't think I've had a single conversation with someone that is highly empathic or considers themselves an empath that doesn't have a chronic fear of being misunderstood mislabeled and misjudged and when we say no it is so, it's almost like ripping a part of our heart out because we love the person and we want to. It's like we, there's, there's just, it's a war inside, right? Especially with those that are, are nearest and dearest to us. When we say no, what we're actually doing is we're helping people, um, we're, 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 we're training behavior. And most often, if you are highly empathic or an empath and you haven't enforced any type of boundaries and said, I'm okay with this, I'm not okay with this, this is fine, this is not fine, they have developed, those people around us have developed what they would consider to be acceptable behavior around Gabrielle, acceptable behavior around David, like what they'll tolerate and they push and push and push. And sometimes we're mm. not even fully aware that we don't even have any boundaries and we wonder why we're exhausted all the time. We wonder why we're emotionally drained all the time. We wonder why, why does no one ever give the same amount that I do? Why is it always I'm the person giving and loving and I never get anything back? And it's simply because we're, we're fearful of that misunderstanding of being, you know, of being misunderstood, but we're also terrified of being construed or mislabeled or misjudged as selfish. We're, we're not intrinsically selfish mm. people. And so the appearance of us being selfish by saying no kind of terrifies us. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I don't even know if that's just for empaths. I think that's for a, a big spectrum yes. of people. Like the the fear of of saying no and standing up for yourself and enforcing a boundary because you're protecting mm -hmm. your own peace to the outside could look like they're a bitch, mm -hmm. they're an asshole, like yeah. they're, they're being too strict with me or why are they, you know, acting yeah. this way? So I think there's there a lot of people would resonate with that and and be afraid of doing stuff like that especially if it's not the norm in how they normally are used to acting right and when we start to do that though and we practice like just small things and especially in your closest relationships it tends to be easier if you have open communication but what we start to do is we start the process of behavioral modification you start training them the people around you what's okay and what's not okay and it doesn't take that long before they realize oh Okay, it is not okay for me to do X, Y, and Z. Gabrielle is not cool with that. And and unfortunately, yeah. there might be some initial like kind of be, I'm a little offended or I'm a little upset, but you have to love them and yourself enough, right? We all have to, to do that because then it retrains their behavior and it allows you to have a more deeper connected relationship, which is really what we're looking for in the, in, in the first place. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um so you did a video that caught my attention that was around resolving conflict mm -hmm. and really like validating someone when they feel misunderstood. Yeah. And it wasn't just for empaths. This was for like any any <laughs> couple out there or and not even a couple, like any relationship dynamic that has some strain out there. Yeah. This was so well put for people to realize like the difference of how to say something to someone to make them not hear you and how to say it in a way that they can hear you. So can you talk a little bit about that specifically? Cause I think there was a lot of really great stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. You might have to refresh my memory a little bit on specifically what I said, but I think I do remember that video. Um, that was a fun one to make. And, and what happens is, um, 
a lot of times when when we upset someone or we were offended like someone feels offended by the things that we do there's hurt right we feel hurt we, we all feel hurt because of different things and oftentimes i mean early early in my marriage one of the things that my wife had to work through was um if i would say something that that would hurt her and she would come back and say this is how you made me feel right um it was I was I was very much like well that's your that's your problem I didn't mean to to make you feel that mm. way and it, it turned into like this mini gaslighting thing right it's like you shouldn't feel that way that's not your reality <laughs> when really that was that was right right or, yeah or someone saying like I'm sorry you feel that way but and it's like no no that doesn't really like acknowledge how, what's going on in here yeah. <laughs> and and I think that it's this humility that says, okay, if someone is bringing some, someone you love, like this is, a lot of this is contextual, right? If you've got haters on the internet or people that you don't really have a relationship with, there's not real connection. Some of these things don't necessarily apply, but if it's a real relationship that is, is someone close to you, um, I, I, I talk about this concept called fierce empathy. And it's this process, we do everything we can to fully see, hear, and understand from their perspective. We take a beat, we take a breath. We're like, okay, if I was really in their shoes, right? This is like a proactive form of empathy. If I was in their shoes and that happened and I could see, hear, and understand from their perspective, how would I be feeling in this moment? And when we take just a moment, right? Mel Robbins teaches this about, you know, that the five seconds, we just do the five, four, three, two, one. And it's a beautiful thing where if we do that and we just stop, the fear side is where we stand strong in our truth, whatever you want to call it. We stand true in what we believe, but we're able to convey to them, hey, I don't fully understand, but I love you and I care about you enough to step back for a moment and try and understand from your perspective and really be willing to listen. And sometimes that, sometimes that means that in that moment, that conversation maybe can't happen. Like, I know you're upset at me right now. I know that you're frustrated or you're hurt. And if now is not the time for this conversation, I don't want to sweep this under the rug. Can we, can we set some time tonight after dinner or tomorrow morning or whenever that we can talk about this? Because the last thing I ever want to do is hurt you or offend you or upset you. Um, but it's got to be through that open communication. I think when we can validate to some degree, just the reality that someone is feeling something, it doesn't mean we're justifying it. It doesn't mean that we're okay with it. It doesn't mean we're like, oh yeah, whatever. It's no, it's saying, okay, I see that you feel this way. I don't understand it, but I see that you feel this way. And I do want to understand. I want to understand because I want to be deeper connected to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes all we need is for that other person to acknowledge what yeah. we're going through, even if at the moment they're not ready to apologize or give us yeah. a reason. The The simple fact of them listening mm -hmm. to us and hearing us out and being like, okay, I acknowledge that that's what's happening and that this is what you're going through. And that's sometimes enough, like before the apology stage even gets there. Yeah. It, it is because a lot of times when we're in these heightened emotional situations, it's actually not ideal to work it out in that moment. And that's hard for some of us that are the fixers. So like, let's just talk it out, fix it, and move on, right? There are people, you know, like my yeah. wife, for example, she is a, 
she's a processor. She's very intentional with how she speaks and what she says. And sometimes like that was one of the hardest things when we first got married was recognizing like, I want to fix this right now. And she's like, I need a minute. Like, let's separate for a few. <laughs> I'm going to go cool off. You, you cool off. And then we'll circle back to the table and talk about this. And I think when we can deescalate that emotion, it allows us to really understand more from their perspective. Because again, it's really about, even if you don't agree with it, that's the key. You might not agree with it. You might, they might be wrong. They might be 100% wrong, but the, the key is understanding. And the key is creating open communication that you mm -hmm. have to value the relationship of the facts in that moment. And that's why stepping back for a second and saying, okay, I love you enough. I love you so much that I'm willing to step aside and say, okay, I understand that I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, I feel like people listening, you know, it's the same as when Tay and I, my boyfriend and I get on and do an episode and we talk about like open communication, like communication is like the root yeah. of everything. Um, and people are like, okay, great. But how do I make my partner mm -hmm. do that? Cause I know there's so many people out there that are like, okay, I hear this and I know that that's what I want to work towards, but how do I make my partner get on board with that or start to understand that. And I think it's difficult for a lot of women because unfortunately, a lot of times it's it's the man in the relationship that doesn't want to have those emotions more available or show that vulnerability. Um, and we we do so much on this show to bring on the opposite type of men like yourself and my boyfriend that really show how great it is when men can be vulnerable. But I know that People get frustrated because they're like, okay, I get that that's what we should do, but how do I get my partner yeah. to do that? I will say that, you know, I, I love that you mentioned the communication piece. It, it requires, it, it's kind of like uh, a secret mission. <laughs> it's this thing that's not really scheduled or planned. It's it's like when all defenses are down, right? When, when everything is calm and when you're able to just like lean over, maybe you're cuddling on the couch or whatever you're in you say, hey, can I, can I talk to you about something that, that is really important to me, right? And you say, I just need you to know that there's situations sometimes where I feel like I'm trying to tell you what's going on. And I'm trying to talk to you about my day or my frustrations, or my you know issues, or, or and it might not even be pertaining to the, the spouse or the partner. Maybe it's stuff that happened at work, right? And there's a lot of times where I feel like in that moment, what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to be connected to you. And what it feels like happens is in that moment, maybe you think that I'm looking for you to try and fix something. And I just want you to be aware that a lot of times when I'm sharing those things with you, what would be really helpful is if instead of jumping to try and fix all my problems is to maybe ask me if you could help me by asking, all right, babe, are you looking for support right now? you just need me to listen you just need me here present with you or are you looking for solutions because if you're looking for solutions i'd be happy to give those and so mm -hmm. it's that type of conversation but it's also the type of conversation where and these are hard and they're they're, they're tough conversations and it's really you have to be very strategic <laughs> about the timing and when this happens don't do it in a fight i'll tell you that don't do it in a fight but yeah <laughs> if, if you can have another uh, another part to that conversation is saying hey, when I'm expressing to you how I'm feeling and what's going on, um, I'm not asking for you to agree with me. I'm not asking for you to say that, that I'm right, that I'm wrong. All I'm asking is for you to understand 
my reality in that moment is I am feeling this. I could be completely misguided off. It could be like right or wrong. I'm not in that moment trying to, trying to win. I'm just trying to tell you how I feel and what I need from you. If you can help me with this is simply acknowledge and validate the fact that I am feeling this, right? I'm not asking you to agree. I'm not asking for you to understand. I'm just asking for you to hear my heart and listen to me. And you're right, Gabrielle. I mean, it is something that if you can't create that type of conversation with your partner, um, the challenge is, is that you're going to live in this perpetual state of dissatisfaction and frustration, feeling like your needs aren't met. And one of two things needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Either you need to seriously reconsider the relationship or you need to find a mediator. You need to find somebody that can help you navigate that with your partner because you have two very different paradigms. You've got two different people that see the world completely different and usually are opposite in a number of things. And instead of fighting against each other, it's recognizing what we talked about at the beginning is looking at our gifts and our skill sets and finding someone that has complementary ones that can mitigate our weaknesses and coming together to make something even more extraordinary than what we would do by ourselves. Yes. And I, I talk all the time about how therapy is such a gift and such a tool for people to have. Yes. Um, my non non-negotiables for even starting a relationship is like, are, is someone open to going to therapy and do they know how to communicate? Like <laughs> if those two things aren't there, uh, it, there's no relationship. So yeah. I don't know how people, you know, who are in these long-term relationships or marriages deal with someone that doesn't know how to sit down and have a conversation and hear hear your perspective and communicate with you in that type of way it must be absolutely exhausting it is and it, it's it, it's one of those things that you see it all the time is that when we i mean you, you know this from your story and your background is that hindsight's 2020 right is that we can look back and we see yeah. the things and we're like, oh, I missed that. Okay. <laughs> well, here we go. And I think in relationships, um, they're the most difficult thing I think that we can do on this planet, but simultaneously they have the potential to be the most rewarding. And a lot of people unfortunately get to this place in life where they just, they just throw their hands up. And they're like, whatever, I'm just going to cohabitate and, you know, or, you know, you get a divorce and you separate or whatever. And it's not always, it's not always a black and white thing, right? It's not just, it, it's, yeah. it's very, yeah. very challenging. And, and we're all human to have these feelings and emotions and, and things that are really difficult to navigate. But if you've been stuck in it, for anyone listening, that's maybe been in a relationship where your partner's not listening to you, your partner's not open to therapy, your partner is, is, is really, it, it's not something that is working. I mean, you've got to exhaust every resource to try and get them to someone or something or some situation where you can reconcile and have open dialogue. And it's not going to be a one hour session and like, oh yeah, our life is fixed. It's going to, going to take work. And, and I, I think that, that um, it's really, I, I don't really know if I have an answer for that, Gabrielle, because it's so incredibly hard um, and my heart breaks for people like that. I know so many people that are like that where they've just given up in the relationship and they're like, well, I got the kids. So I guess we're going to tough this thing out till the kids graduate or whatever. And 
Yeah, I, I've heard so many stories like that, too. And people are just like, well, you know, I want to stay together for my kids. And I'm like, look, guys, if you're not happy in the relationship, the kids are picking up on that energetically. Mm-hmm. Like the, you're yeah. not doing them a service by staying unhappy in your situation. And I think so many people mm-hmm. settle and be like, well, this is good yeah. enough. You know, if I had to start over, what am I going to find then? But it's life is too long and too short to to stay unhappy and to settle with things like that, in my perspective. What I have found is really useful, though, we go back to boundaries, is that when you start stepping into your power and you're becoming more self-aware and you are really I mean, honestly, a lot of it starts with internal love for ourselves. Like when you become your own best friend and you really focus on loving yourself, honoring yourself, respecting yourself, keeping your word to yourself, operating in integrity, those are things that energetically, like there are people that get around you, they don't have a choice but to have that energy bouncing off of them. And and I've seen in situations where if it's a spouse situation or a partnership situation that what happens that that person is constantly confronted by this beautiful flow of energy that either they separate themselves, like they remove themselves or they change, they start to change. And when you can enforce those boundaries, again, it's just behavioral modification. I've seen this with so many people that when you do that and you start saying no, and this is what's acceptable. And and like, I'm not going to allow this to continue this way. That sometimes is the come to Jesus wake up moment that people need. And they're like, oh, wow, I need to get my act together. Okay. Like you're serious. I'm like, yes, I'm serious. Like, I love you. I care about you, but this can't happen. This is not going to happen anymore. I'm not going to live this way either. We're going to have to have tough conversations and we're going to have to go see someone that can help us work through these things together or, (laughs) or something worse is going to have to happen because I'm not going to live like this anymore. And I think sometimes when we're willing to be bold and courageous and enforcing those things, still doing our best to not be attacking them, but in love, because we, at one point or another, we did, we were in love with them right? We love them. If we're willing to step back into that and say, I'm willing to, to speak the hard truth in love, that sometimes is just what it takes for them to have that wake up call and be like, whoa, I, I got to stop playing games. Like, I love this person. I don't want this to go that way. Yeah. And I, and I think that you have to be ready on the other end to if that wake up call doesn't come and if the boundaries aren't starting to be respected, you have to enforce them because boundaries without having you enforce them don't mean (laughs) shit. All that's going to do is have people be like, Oh, okay, cool. That's a boundary, but like nothing happened if I cross it. So let's cross it again. Like there, it's not going to service you. Um, so you have to be committed enough to like following through with whatever consequence that that is. Absolutely. It takes, courage it really takes a lot of courage and that's what part of to me what integrity is is are we keeping our word to ourselves the commitments we've made to ourselves Mm. and are we it's not just like in our health and nutrition it's like no and and really the person that you want to be and the person that you want to become the commitments you've made to yourself and the philosophy and ideology and the beliefs and, and and your spiritual all of those things those that version of you that you want to become in order to create alignment and actively take the steps to manifest the life that you want to have, you have to enforce the boundaries. And that takes courage. It takes immense courage because there's risk involved. 
And there's, <laughs> Brene Brown talks about this a lot, is that there's no such thing as courage without risk and vulnerability. You're going to have to be vulnerable that's right. if you're going to have that type of conversation. But that's where you know, the gold often lies. Sometimes it doesn't, but a lot of times it does because we're courageous. Yes. Oh, yes. I just got chills. Um, so with being an empath and any like living, breathing organism, in my <laughs> opinion, um, comes yeah. anxiety. And um, you you talk a lot about anxiety and some kind of like tips and tricks of how to deal with that. Can you share a little bit on that? Because I know a lot of my listeners, as well as myself, struggle with um it just random anxiety that comes up to like bite us in the ass on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> it, it does. I have, I found that without fail, anxiety's origin is because we are living in our heads in non-existent time. And I'll elaborate. Please. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is, is we talk about worry and fear and anxiety and all these things. We're all constantly crafting this narrative in our head, a story of our lives. We are, we're the writer, right? We're the author of, of this, this story that we're writing. And what happens is that if we remove ourselves from the present moment, because we're thinking about a future that does not exist yet, we start to tap into this thing that's our negativity bias. And what happens is we're constantly thinking about all of the potential things that could happen. And rarely, if ever, are they good. There's these things we are, we're, we're living in non-existent. And that, that's why where a lot of guilt and shame comes from is the opposite side is the past. We're living in our heads in the past in regret and wishing I should have done, done that. Or if I would have known this, I would have done that. Or I would have made that change, right? It's that high 2020 thing is that that's where a lot of this guilt and shame comes from. But the same thing is true for anxiety, fear, and worry is because we are, we are removing ourselves from this present moment. And we're thinking about all the contingencies and the different scenarios of what could happen in this relationship, what could happen in my job, what could happen on on the way home, what could happen to my daughter, what could happen to my son, what could happen to my mom, what could happen to, you know, in any situation with my financial situation, with the stock market, with the war, like with, with our president, like all of this stuff. The reason we have these these influxes of, you know, and, and I think why anxiety is so prevalent today is that we have lost the art of being present. We've, we've so lost this art of like right here and now, like nothing else exists but me and Gabrielle right now. Like I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my life. I love all the stuff. But right now, this is all we got. Like this is it. And when people listen to it in this moment is all you really have because the next moment you could be dead. It's the reality. And what happens is we start to think about, you know, through a wrong frame, we're like fearful, like, well, I'm going to die or something's going to happen and I'm going to lose all my money or I'm going to lose my job. That's where this anxiety slips in. And so what happens is we are, we are taking an emotion from non-existent time, pulling it into our present hmm. and making our present tense. Oh my God. I've never had it explained to me like that. And I've had so many discussions with different therapists about my my own anxiety and that resonates so much with me I've never had it explained like that so what do you feel is a good you know tip for when people start going down that 
rabbit hole or feeling that anxiety? Is there something that you you do personally that brings you back to that present moment? Yeah, because I I mean it it pops its head up all the time, right? It's not one of those things that it's like a one and done fix it. We have to regularly practice these things, just like we have to regularly exercise. We need to regularly take care of nutrition and all that. It consistency is everything, right? Um, the best tool that I have found is is this thing I call moment stacking. And where you can you can bring in all this stuff around mindfulness and breathing and meditation, all these things are useful, right? All these things are useful. They, different things work for different people. But the most useful thing that I found for me is recognizing the physiological effects of breath work in conjunction with shifting our perspective to the present moment. So what I'll do is I'll take 60 seconds and it's just, it's the very simple three seconds in, three seconds out. So. In this moment, I'm okay. And I'll do that for about a minute. And what's crazy mm. is like, even, I mean, I just got goosebumps doing it right there. I'm just, <laughs> just as an example, yeah. it's like, what happens is we, we literally have a physiological change, like our blood pressure, like our, uh, everything to do with, with cortisol and dopamine, the release of the, all the, the neurological stuff that's going on in our brains is that that's why when we talk with our kids, for anyone that has kids, if your kids are wired up, you like look at me like, take a breath. It's okay. There's a reason we say take a breath. It is the yeah. only thing that we have that is a physical or physiological control of this heightened emotional anxiety, anxious state. And so for me, every time that that, because sometimes again, and this is just a sidebar, Gabrielle, sometimes the anxiety comes and we're not, we don't know wh why. Like, we're just like, I just feel anxious. <laughs> Yo, all the time, not sometimes, all the time. So it's, it's, it's easy when we can identify where we're living in that non-existent time. But what I found is that the same is true for when we can't identify where the anxiety is coming from, is that all that happens in that moment is that our brain is on overdrive, trying to figure out like fight or flight, where are the threats, what the heck is going on? Our body is just having a physiological response. And a lot of that obviously can come from trauma and past and experiences. And for, for people that, you know, have gone through hard things, it can be an environment. It can be a smell. It can be a sound from a show. There's things that we're not even conscious of that can trigger stuff in a moment. And that's where a lot of times that anxiety just pops up. And what I found is still true is that if we can just anchor to the, the moment, because like right now, like in this moment, as, as whoever's listening to this, like in this moment, the reality is, despite all the problems, your pain and difficulties and financial, whatever, job, all the stuff. In this moment, you're okay. And if you can just repeat that to yourself over and over for just like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, it's enough to disrupt that pattern. It's really what it is, is this pattern. You're like, okay, I am okay. Everything is okay. I'm okay. Okay. And you just breathe and you just ground yourself back to that present moment. And when we can live in the present, that is where true peace, joy, fulfillment, content, and all those things that we're desperately craving for that so many people are chasing, right? They're so forward. I'm going to get the peace. I'm going to get the joy. I'm going to get the happiness. Yeah. I'm going to get the money. I'm going to get there, get there, get there. And I feel like so many of us, I don't know, if, I, I don't know that there's anyone to blame, but we, we've missed the fact that we have access right now to so much more than we realize. And all that we have to do is focus on being in 
the present moment. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much truth to that. And I've been one of those people that has fallen into the habit of like, well, if I can just get to this milestone, then like, it'll be really great and I'll be happy. Or if I could just get to this vacation, then like, I'll be able to relax and have some peace. And you miss a ton of the stuff that you're going on in your day-to-day life that could be bringing you so much happiness, that could be bringing you so much peace. And when you can remember to drop back into your heart center and be like, okay, I'm just gonna be in the here and now and and enjoy that. Um, It's a really powerful, thing i've been this past month especially really working on consciously doing that because it's something you need to retrain yourself how to do because that's not how we are programmed in today's society we're you know told to like look for the future and figure out what's coming next and you know all of these different outside factors that are supposed to weigh in on our happiness and our goals and our dreams and our life and it's it's about coming back to that present moment and really like refocusing there. Yeah, and we one of the things I talk about a lot is uh, one of my taglines is never stop becoming. And sometimes I've found that there's been some confusion around that because when we talk about becoming, it's, it's almost like this thing that's inaccessible, right? It's like, well, I'm becoming that thing that's out there, that version of me one day. But what I found that is so useful in this context, when it, we talk about anxiety and we talk about stress, we talk about just being present in the moment and really enjoying and loving life is, you know, everyone talks a lot, you know, it's this buzzwords now, visualization, manifestation, affirmations, all these different things, which are, again, great, useful things. But what I have found is, is absolutely life-changing is when you can create the habit and practice of when you wake up in the morning you look yourself in the mirror, you can say, you bring yourself to the place where you can say, I love you, I see you, and I believe in you. And you can focus on that version of you that you wanna become. And, And every single day, you align your actions, your feelings, your choices, your decisions, all of that with that version of you. You will literally step into it every single day instead of waiting to get there, right? you step into that. It's like, okay, this is, Mm. this is the partner that I want to be. This is the friend that I want to be. This is the entrepreneur that I want to be. This is the podcast host that I want to be. This is whatever, right? This is, and people are are saying, well, I got to work to get there. Like, no, we actually don't. We have the creative power to visualize that version of ourselves and say, no, this is who I'm going to decide to be today. And, and that's where this beautiful thing. I actually learned this from my daughter when she was pretending to be a little chef, when she was, when she pretends to make food in her little play kitchen, she's a chef. And if you tell her otherwise, she'll slap you. <laughs> she's like, I know I'm a, I'm a chef. Right. Yeah. She's like, uh, yes, and sir. If we could just recognize the power of what kids <laughs> use in their imagination and pretending is like, we've lost that as adults. So many of us is that we don't tap into our imagination and, and allow ourselves to be like, no, I am, this is who I'm going to be today. And this is, these are the decisions I'm going to make, but I'm also going to carry grace for myself. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not going to be perfect. That's where we start to let go of these things that really, really terrorize us of the pressures to perform and the expectations of others and having to measure up and comparison. And we start to take simple things like we're, we're talking on a zoom across the United States in real time with real video and these moments where we take a sip of water, where we walk outside and we touch the grass, like when we can anchor back regularly to that present moment, like life just changes. And for all the people that say, well, 
I don't know. I've got much to grateful for. I, you know, I got all these problems. It's just a, a shift in our perspective, a shift in our mindset. It's what we focus on. Yeah, big time. And that's such a huge gift if people really decide to take action with it and shift that perspective, like your entire life can change. Um, and I wholeheartedly believe that. David, this has been so freaking amazing. Um, you are wonderful. I mean this as the highest compliment. I can tell you're a motivational speaker. Like this is, <laughs> you've just been wonderful. Thank um, you. Can you tell everybody where they can, um, where they can follow you, where they can find more of your stuff to uh, keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So anywhere on social media at David Waldy, um, I'm on every platform. Um, YouTube, I've got to get the YouTubes going. <laughs> I have not really, I have a channel there, but really TikTok, Instagram, if you want to connect with me direct, shoot me a DM on, on Instagram and also have um, something I love to give away for free to, um, to to people that listen to to podcasts. It's called the Fear Sympathy Framework, and it was something I developed specifically for those that are in a coaching context. But I found it to be absolutely instrumental for self coaching as well. Where if you are serious about making transformational change, of learning to love yourself and creating these boundaries and defining goals, um, if you actually go to Fierce Empathy Framework, so FierceEmpathyFramework.com, it's a free download. You can download it and work through it. It's uh, like a 50-page ebook that you can work through. That I have found to be. It's completely changed my life, Gabrielle. And so anyone that listens, I'd love to give that to you for free. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, thank you. And I'll be taking you up on that as well because that's incredible. And I can't wait to work through that myself. Um, David, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your knowledge and your vulnerability. So thank you for coming on today. Gabriel, thank you for having me. I so appreciate your time. I want to thank David so much for coming on FML Talk today and having that incredible discussion with us. We are going to take a turn now and jump into some of your FML stories. Here's number one. Hey, Gabrielle. My name is Ty. I have been through a sociopath and a psychopath both in just the last few years. I caught my husband in lie after lie after lie, almost always involving other women or stealing or partying. When I caught him in that final lie, I asked him why he was treating me like I was disposable. He replied, you've earned the title of disposable. Fuck that. I filed for divorce the very next day. Then I found out about multiple affairs and orgies he'd had while we were together. So I destroyed the shit out of my wedding dress and had a really fucking epic photo shoot done. <laughs> About a year later, I met and started dating the hottest dude I've ever seen. But just two months into the relationship, I learned that he had a felony conviction for aggravated assault, domestic violence. He told me that, you know, his ex made it all up and that she was crazy, as most narcissists do. And, but it didn't take long for me to start experiencing his rage temper, and the abuse myself. So I spent three months trying to escape. I ended up moving across the country, but then he followed me those 800 miles to physically abuse me again inside my own home, then stalk me and harass me. So I filed criminal charges. I was issued a protection order. And then I moved across the fucking country. Yes. Once again, to start over. Reading your books have inspired me in so many ways. Um, I have been in a relationship with myself for almost a year now. I've learned to love myself the same way that I love others. I control my thoughts better. I've been challenging my core beliefs. And I'm like more than just okay alone. 
but fucking seriously happy and single on purpose. I'm even traveling solo to other countries and loving life. I was tired of being told you won't, you can't, you shouldn't, like you won't leave me and you can't be happy single or you shouldn't travel solo. I just finally said, fuck you, watch this. And then I wrote a fucking book appropriately titled, fuck you, watch this. Oh my God, I love it. I was like, fuck, please let this journey have a happy ending. Um, I don't know what's worse, the the sociopathic husband having orgies while you're fucking married or a convicted felon that follows you across the fucking country. Um, you have paid your dues, girl. I am glad that you are fucking happy and thriving now as you should be. Uh, and congrats on writing a book, girl. So proud of you. Sending you all my love. Here is story number two. Hey, Gabrielle. So... I want to tell you a bit about what happened between me and my ex. It's a long story. I know I have to keep it short. So I decided to tell you about the main things that happened during the breakup and that led towards the breakup. So the first thing that happened was that one night we were at my friend's house and he was being really passive aggressive to me in front of everyone and made me feel really shitty. And when we got home, all I wanted to do was talk about it, you know, and he completely ignored me to the point where I was crying next to him in the same room for like 30 minutes and all he did was ignore me and get ready for bed and just literally told me that he doesn't want to talk to me because his sleep was more important um the second thing that happened was that well he basically has his friend you know that one friend that encourages you to live your life and to sleep around you know because apparently that's the most manly thing you can do and uh, during the actual breakup i had his phone in my hands and was really messy like the breakup was super messy and I saw a bunch of the messages this guy had sent him and he basically told him like a bunch of times that he should break up with me because I'm not worth it and at the same time uh, I also found out that he had been flirting with this girl on his social media while he had a profile picture with me on it and at the same time he was flirting with her he was telling me to fuck off and every time I would send him a message, he just kind of told me that he couldn't reply to it because I was a spam folder. And to top that all off, because that obviously wasn't enough, I also found out that he had been screen recording me while we were FaceTiming and we were fighting about something. Or I was just upset about something. I also saw some recordings where I was talking about something that had nothing to do with him. And I want to emphasize, really, I had no idea I was being recorded um he just screen recorded me like almost every time we were talking which was really upsetting so yeah thank you for sharing my story i'm really um curious to hear about what you have to say about this so yeah thank you gabrielle okay first of all that's fucking creepy like who just screen records their significant other when they're having random facetime calls um but the thing that really bothered me the most in this story is when you said you were sitting in the same room as him crying and nothing was being done i will never understand when you're in a partnership and a significant other isn't affected by your tears um, or the fact that you are obviously hurting about something, whether they agree with it or not, the fact that you're upset and you're hurting should matter and should make a difference to them. And it 
is a clear indication of when you need to get the fuck out of a relationship when someone is not respecting your feelings in that way or trying to make you feel better or rectify the problem. So I am glad you are out of that, girl. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast for all of our giveaways and behind the scenes goodies. If you are not watching us on YouTube, you can check us out on youtube.com slash FML Talk to see all the interviews happen live in studio. And as always, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers, guys. Welcome to As a Woman, fertility hormones and beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.